Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality. I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. So before I get into introducing my guest, I wanted to talk to you about some things that I'm watching and listening to this week. The first thing that you need to miss is Million Dollar Beach House on Netflix. Oh my God, it was so bad. I really don't even have enough words for how bad it was. Yes, I watched the whole season, so sue me. I watched Class Action Park, which is a new documentary on HBO Max about this crazy action park, motor park in Vernon, New Jersey that was really popular back in the 70s and 80s and basically was totally unregulated and killed people and they were a lot of people were injured. It was pretty wacky. Um, I would say watch it. I don't know. It's not a must-see. But I'm very into two series that just started, The Vow on HBO and Love Fraud on Showtime. And I highly recommend both of those so far. They both have me hooked. And lastly, I'm listening to a fantastic podcast called Morally Indefensible. And it's about the Jeffrey McDonald case from the 70s. They based the uh, miniseries on the book Fatal Vision by Joe McGinnis. I don't know if you know about this case. If you don't, you don't need to just dive in. But I've always been fascinated by this case since I read the book back in the 90s. And the podcast is really interesting. There's going to be a Hulu documentary series starting at the end of the month. Um, So I highly recommend listening to that. So today on the podcast is Jazzy Collins. Jazzy owns her own casting company, Jazzy Casting, where she's worked on many episodes of The Bachelor and Bachelorette and other high-profile dating shows, including The Circle, which is a big hit for Netflix. It's now casting season two. So Jazzy made headlines during the pandemic and the Black Lives Matters protests. She came out publicly to renounce The Bachelor when they announced that they would have their first Black Bachelor, she called them out on her Instagram post, basically saying that they've never done enough to cast diverse people in the, in the, you know, before now, and also criticized them for their lack of diversity behind the camera. So Jazzy and I get into her powerful Instagram post that made big news and how she experienced The Bachelor as a Black woman and how she's hoping to change the industry from the inside when it comes to diversity. Hey, Jazzy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I always start by saying how I met my guests. So you and I are only just meeting over Zoom, but we were introduced by Shannon McCarty, who's a casting person who's helped me with many wonderful guests on the podcast. I've actually never met Shannon in person either, but she always has great suggestions and was very grateful that she recommended you. So thank you for doing it. Yes, thank you. And Shannon is just a wonderful person. I absolutely love working with her. I'm working with her right now and she's just incredible. Well, the irony is I just heard Shannon on another podcast and I said to her, like, wait a minute, why haven't you been on my podcast? You keep recommending all these people, but really you're great and you should be on. So that will happen. (laughs) (laughs) That will happen. Yes. So Researching you before you came on, I don't think I realized the extent Janet had said, you know, she's been very vocal talking about black producers in front of the camera, behind the camera, or not just producers, but also reality stars, et cetera. And when I started researching, I realized, oh, wow, you've actually been in the media. You're, you're a big voice in this because of your work on The Bachelor specifically. So when it was announced that there was going to be a black bachelor you 
took to Instagram and you put out a very powerful statement that I would love you to read in a minute. But I first want to ask you, I guess, what was the impetus? Was it the Black Lives Matters movement coming again in the middle of the pandemic? Was it the announcement of The Bachelor? What was it that precipitated you posting this very powerful statement? It was a mixture of both. Um, Black Lives Matter movement really was starting to hit me a lot at the point. Um, I was out there protesting. I was out there just reading and like really understanding what's going on. Because as a Black woman growing up, you understand this is constantly happening to you in one way or another. There's, you know, racism. There's people saying just some nasty statements just because of who you are. And between that, my experience at The Bachelor and then them announcing that Matt was going to be the next Bachelor, I said, okay, it's time for me to speak out about my experience and in hopes that maybe something can start. We got to start having this conversation because there's a huge problem behind the scenes at The Bachelor. Okay, so I would love for you to read the statement. It's a little long, but but worth every word. It really is quite powerful. So yeah, if you wouldn't mind reading what you posted on Instagram. And the date was in June, right? Yeah, it was June 12th. Okay, great. So the floor is yours. All right. I am a casting producer who previously worked on The Bachelor and Bachelorette series for five seasons. During my time at The Bachelor Bachelorette, I was the only Black person in the casting office from when I was hired for casting the first season of The Black Bachelorette through the four seasons I worked on afterwards. While working on Rachel Lindsay's season of the show, we were called on to have a very diverse cast. It was my first season of the show and I was excited to be an integral part of the show's history. My hope was that having a racially diverse cast of gentlemen would be an important milestone that would continue into the future. That was not the case. After finishing Rachel Lindsay's season of The Bachelorette, it went back to status quo. The cast was predominantly white. The only black women that were picked to be in the running had weaves or chemically straightened hair, were ethnically ambiguous, or were not considered if they were too black. Women with afros, braids, locks, etc., were not given a chance because of the white standards of beauty. Once I developed a voice for myself in the office to speak out on issues, I was hit with many microaggressions, including being called aggressive. I felt alone. While walking through the production and post offices, I only saw a total of black three black people. Soon after I left the show, I found out the only black cast producer was also not longer with the team. Your show has whitewashed for decades inside and out. Your head of post-production is white. Your casting director is white. Your executive in charge is white. You only cast the token black person, Asian person, or Latinx person to satisfy what you believe to be the needs of the viewers. Many people called for Black Bachelor for years, but you ignored it. I am happy to see you've chosen Matt James as your first Black Bachelor in 25 seasons. It took a pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement to take a moment and reassess the issue at hand, which I've called on for years. I am calling on you to select a diverse cast and production team for season 25 of The Bachelor and moving forward. Not only is it important to have a diverse cast reflect the rest of what the rest of America looks like, it's important for the production and casting teams to be able to share the same experiences as the cast members. You're expecting a team of white, a white team to be able to intimately produce people of color on an emotional level that they've truly unable been, to, been unable to relate to. A black, Asian, Latinx, indigenous man or woman should not 
have to walk on a set for up to eight weeks and stare at a crowd of white faces while they pour their heart out on national TV without having a diverse understanding team to guide them through the process. Sincerely, Jazzy Collins. (laughs) Really amazing statement. So before we dig into the content of the statement, I just want to read what the response was from the Bachelor team and get your response to that. They said, quote, we are taking positive steps to expand diversity in our cast, in our staff, and most importantly, in the relationships that we show on television. We can and will do better to reflect the world around us and show all of its beautiful love stories. How did you feel about their response? I immediately thought it was very plain. It was like a Band-Aid and they just wanted to move on. Um I wanted to hear how they were going to actually change what was going on behind the scenes rather than just releasing a blanket statement. Um, It's a lot of people nowadays that I'm seeing just all over, not even just in our industry, but the beauty industry, things like that. They are all putting out statements saying, we only have X, Y, and Z black people that are on our team. Here's how we are going to fix this. And they're laying that all out. And that's what I was expecting to hear from them. And I didn't, I got that statement instead. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. There, there was nothing really concrete there. And, and to my knowledge, I mean, I don't even know how they're doing production now. Do you have any insight as to how they're doing the season even? Um, the only information I'm seeing is through like what's being released in the media. Um, and I also did have a girl come to me recently. Um, she sent me a DM and said that she applied for a position on the bachelor and she has been an Emmy nominated producer. So she should be up there. And she was sent back an email saying that she had to start from the bottom. They don't hire anyone that's up there. You have to start almost like basically as a PA. And she's like, I'm not going to do that. Like, that doesn't make any sense. I've been in the game for like 15 years. Why would I start from the bottom? So when she sent me that email, which was maybe like two or three weeks ago, I was like, okay, so they're not even actually doing what they should be doing at this point. You didn't say, but I'm assuming there's a black woman. Yes, this is a black woman. Yes. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I mean, either way, it's ridiculous, but especially disappointing given that uh, statement that actually promise some change, which obviously isn't happening. So I really want to dig into your statement. So look, the diversity issue, and I'm putting it in quotes because I don't want to minimize it by calling it that, but just a blanket way I'm going to just refer to it on The Bachelor has been an issue for years. I mean, this has been talked about probably mainly because I think it's it's probably other than Survivor, the longest running uh, reality show. So uh, you know, how, what season are we in now? Like 30 something. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of seasons. So I guess I want to back up a little bit to what your first season was, when it was, and what your experience was casting, because I want to get into kind of, you know, the production of the show and the cast, but specifically casting because the joke, and I mean, they've parodied this on Saturday night live, you know, that about the sort of token black women that always get, you know, rejected right out of the gate. And it's kind of like, it's become almost comical because it's so transparently white. And so I'm curious, just when you came into it, what your experience was and what were the things that were talked about in terms of how we're going to cast and in terms of diversity and what year was it? Um, I believe this was 20, 
I want to say is 2017 or 2018. Okay. Um, so I started, late. I mean, it yeah. started in 2002, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, okay. it's been a minute, but it's also been like only a couple of years ago. Um, right. I started Rachel season. So Rachel season would, I would say was probably the most diverse cast that they've had on it. Reason being it was a black lead. So you can't just put 25 white guys next to her. It's going to look really weird. Right. And were you brought in to cast because Rachel was the first black bachelorette? Like, did they specifically want your perspective? They didn't say that because I was hired. I didn't know who the bachelorette was at the time. Mm. And then like three weeks later, I found out it was the black bachelorette. So whether or not I was actually hired because of that, I don't know. So, okay, so you get hired. You're still at that point the only black casting person on the team. So the edict was, I guess, cast a lot of black guys almost exclusively, right? Was that explicit or no? It wasn't explicit. It was, we want a diverse cast. They were very, you know, smart about their language. We want people from all walks of life. Um, I did a lot of the interviews that were of people of color, Um, while the other producers were doing more white uh, casting. Um, Whether or not that was intentional, I don't know. (laughs) And did you hear from the candidates that you were interviewing as potential batch? um, What do they call when it's, well, suitors, right? So when you talk to the potential suitors, did they have that conversation with you about like, oh, is this just going to be some you know, token bullshit. Like, like, what was it? What were those conversations like? Because I mean, The Bachelor's been around so long that people know the deal, right? Yeah, it's been. It was super hard for them to even be like, uh, I don't know if I really want to do this because casting men in general is always really hard because guys just don't want to do it. They don't want to fill out the application. You know, they don't want to do the interviews. Um, so getting them to also agree to The Bachelor was always like an uphill battle. So once you casted that season, I don't know how many conversations, if any, casting has with the actual Bachelor or Bachelorette. Did you actually speak to Rachel at all about the cast? No, they have no idea who the cast is going in, um, which is a good because you don't want right. them to like, you know, Google search anyone before they actually meet them in person. But I never had a conversation with Rachel. Um, but, you know, from every season. Therefore, I like knew everyone that was going forward because they just take from a previous season. So I knew except Ari season. I didn't know. Um, he was the worst. I didn't know him. So, but you know, they just tell us, Hey, you're casting for this person. We're like, all right, let's move on. <laughs> so what you said in your statement is that it seems like you kind of had a positive experience casting with Rachel season and sort of felt hopeful that, wow, this could be a step forward for diversity in casting. But as soon as it was a, a white person, the next season, it went back to, you know, business as usual. Yes, exactly that. So I was super hopeful for Rachel season. I was like, I knew going into working on The Bachelor, I was like, I, the show's amazing. It's been on forever. I'm really excited to work on a show that's been this big. Um, and the fact that my first season there was all like a diverse cast, I was like, okay, so maybe they're just moving in the right direction now. Um, and then after that, it was literally, um, right after I think that was Ari's season. Um, and I was like, all white, it was, 
that was 95% of the people that they wanted to be cast. You know, they had that bachelor look that they were looking for. And it was really frustrating for me because I was like expecting that to just completely transfer over to the bachelor season from the bachelorette. And that just did not happen. Were there actual conversations about filling sort of token spots though for diversity? Cause you said, you know, even those people had to look a certain way. Yeah. So it was very much like, almost like a quota that they had to fill. Uh, it was like, okay, well, we have the people that we think we want, but we're missing, you know, three black women. And any woman that I would put forward that was black um, never was allowed to have braids. Ne- was never allowed to even be looked at if she had Afro or, um, or if she had locks or anything like that. And as a woman of, you know, a black woman myself, I am all about, you know, natural beauty. You shouldn't have to, if you don't want to wear a weave, you shouldn't have to wear a weave. If you don't want to wear a you don't, you shouldn't have to wear a wig. And it seemed like that was their standard of beauty, which is a very Eurocentric look as someone with straight hair. And that was the only ones that were ever moved forward in the process. It occurs to me that you mentioned the quote unquote bachelor look earlier. And I would think that doesn't even just apply to black women because I would think like a woman with super short hair wouldn't make it through. Right. Even if she was really pretty. Like, I think it's a you're right. Like it's the extensions and the lashes and the, you know, super skinny with the implants. Right. I mean, isn't there sort of like that Barbie doll um, template? Yeah, like what you saw in the past, even like if you look back at all seasons, all yeah. of the women almost look the same. Same with all the guys. They all kind of look the same. And, and they're all dental hygienists. <laughs> <laughs> right? And they work in sales or something like that. Right, sales, quote unquote sales. <laughs> um, so yeah, they all looked the same. And that was the most frustrating thing because it was like, what who created the standard of beauty and that we have to follow like why do we have why don't we have women with a little bit more curves why do they have to be a size two it's not even just like race it's just like in general why do they look like that right and so i think they responded to that i guess with a very baby step this past season of the bachelorette by casting an older i'm putting older in quotes i think she was 42 mm-hmm. um and then the what I heard was she fell in love with somebody like the first day and they had to cancel the whole season. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. Such I a heard, good story. Such a good such story. A, it's such a good story. And she was like, I'm over this. I don't want to <laughs> so do this like, anymore. <laughs> they're all like, okay, there goes how many millions of dollars. So funny. So back to your statement. So you said that, you know, once it kind of got back to business as usual with RE season, you started speaking out. And that you were met with what you called um, microaggression. So for people who don't know what that means, it's a really important term for people to know, but for people to also understand how that manifests itself. So walk us through kind of, you know, what, what pushback you gave and then how that was received. Yeah. So one example that was the biggest example was when I came up to someone, I'm not going to name them. Um, and I said, why don't we have a black bachelor? And they were like, we don't have the right black bachelor. And I said, what does that mean? And they were like, just calm down. You're being really aggressive right now. And I was asking in a very normal tone of voice. I just wanted to know, because I was like, why are we, why are we constantly 
avoiding a black bachelor. It seems like there's something going on here that they're like afraid to do it. And like, I heard that they were like, the black bachelorette season didn't do well. So we're not going to cast the black bachelor and like all these other things that were happening behind the scenes. And I was like, okay, that's, that's a microaggression. Why are you calling me aggressive for speaking out as a black woman? And that's a big issue that a lot of people in the industry don't realize that they're doing by saying things that are little jabs that you think are something that you would be okay with is not okay for someone that's black because people, for example, uh, in the black community always are seen as aggressive if they speak out. And that's really frustrating. And that's why a lot of us always keep our mouths shut. And because they want to just follow because it's so much harder for us to even get to the point of where a lot of our colleagues are. A lot of people get hired because they're a friend of a friend. They're, you know, they look like them. So be me being me, I have to try 10 times harder to constantly be where, you know, Sarah is or where Tim is because I, I look the way I do. So it's always frustrating for me when I finally have the voice to like speak out and talk about things like this and, and say like, no, this isn't right. I'm getting called aggressive because of it is the most frustrating thing in the world. Yeah. Michelle Obama said, you've got to be twice as good to get half as far. Exactly. Sticks with me. I'm curious, the person that you asked about that, was that a man or a woman? (laughs) It was a woman. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because I wondered how much um, gender plays into it. So that's actually even more interesting to me that it was a woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Okay. So, why do you think there has, well, like, that's fine, whatever, you know, we haven't had the right black bachelor. That's a bullshit answer. So what is yeah. your actual, what do you think the reason is up until now that we haven't had one? I think the reason is that they felt that they needed to hit a standard of a normal bachelor, which would be, you know, mm-hmm. tall, has that certain bachelor-esque look. And what I also find really interesting is that they cho- the one that they did cho- choose was biracial and not all black. Um, I feel like they need to come from a certain standard of like, were they well-educated? Do they speak a certain way? That's what I think they were looking for rather than just throwing someone like Eric Bigger on. I don't know if you ever watched Rachel's season, but Eric Bigger was someone that spoke with the swag, came from, you know, Baltimore, you know, came from like a poor family. They would never put him as a bachelor. Mm-hmm. And that's because he doesn't fit their standards. Yeah, I find it, I mean, I think it's really interesting, the justification, because in a way it makes sense, right? Because- look at the demographics for The Bachelor. It's typically not a coastal show, right? It's that red state show. um, And they know that, right? It's all about money at the end of the day. So racism aside, (laughs) it's about the bottom line. So they look at Rachel's season and they say, oh, we put a black bachelorette on. It didn't do well in the ratings. So we lost money. So black people don't work then because it must be that because our show appeals to the flyover states, they don't like a black bachelor or bachelorette, you know? So I think it's the self-fulfilling prophecy in a way too, that really ultimately drills down to the bottom line because they're not willing to push the envelope. They're too nervous about, you know, 
I'm not saying that there isn't racism involved. There absolutely is. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I see it when I pull back on it, like this is about money and being scared to do anything to to even push it a little bit farther, because you're right. What they could do as a starter, which they should have done 20 years ago, is have 50 percent black behind the camera. Down to the EPs, the producers, the casting people, you know, the DPs, the sound people. I mean, you can make that happen. That's not, America doesn't see that, but it will, like you said, I thought what what was a really powerful part of your statement, sorry, I'm I'm stealing the floor now, but what I really, I want you to speak to this because the, the thing that I don't think about as a white woman that I think was really powerful in your statement was that the experience, putting yourself in the shoes of somebody of color, walking onto a set where nobody looks like them, you know, and it is a very profound experience. I mean, I I worked in Baltimore early in my news career and I was one of the only white people. The news director was black and he hired pretty much all black producers. And that was the first time in my life I'd ever been in that position. And it was, it was jarring, you know, like it was like, wow, I feel different. And so to feel like that every day of your life in America, and then to feel like that on a set, where you're being manipulated and controlled and produced, that's pretty powerful. So I think I'm really glad you brought that up. And I wonder where that came from for you, because obviously you've been behind the camera. You don't know what it's like to be on a set, but I'm curious where that part came from. It came from the fact that I had the opportunity to work for an Oprah Winfrey Network show. And that was the first time I ever had my entire team to be all black, except one person. And I loved it. I felt like I was finally like fully accepted and can be who I, uh, you know, my, be my unapologetically myself. Um, and because of that, I was like, wow, I would love to just have this all the time, like working on shows where there's 50% of the staff, you know, BIPOC. And that just made me go, wow, can you imagine if you're on the opposite side of it and like casting, let's just say you're also casting an Oprah Winfrey network show and you know, you're, you see the producer on the other side and they are look like you, that has to feel so nice. And people have told me, they're like, wow, it's so great to like see someone that looks like me. That's interviewing me instead of just like some white person. And because of that, that kind of like stuck in the back of my brain. And I was like, can you imagine being Rachel walking onto that set for the first time being the first black bachelorette and there's no one on that set that looks like her that can actually feel what she's feeling and like talk through things. It's always going to be someone else that just like doesn't quite understand. That sucks. How do you think the show would be different? Let's say if there was in a black, how do you think the show would be different? Let's say if there was a black executive producer at the helm, but regardless of the, race of the bachelor or bachelorette? I think the cast would be a lot different. First off, if there was an executive producer at the helm, I think the producing staff would be a lot different. I think they would also not make silly mistakes that they do make, you know, on a consistent basis, um, dealing with race and dealing with, uh, the way people look. I think a lot of decisions would just be so much different and more progressive behind the scenes. If there was someone that was an executive producer that was black. What if they called you to come back and cast for a future season? How would you react? Would you have certain demands that 
you would make before you came back. You know, if it was like an olive branch, like, hey, we want to make this better. We want to put you in charge of these decisions. How would you respond? Honestly, I probably wouldn't take it. Um, I'm all about like, there is my experience and then I move on from it. Um, and I learn from it and I grow from it. And I feel like going back is just three steps back because I've developed so much as a person since then. And I shouldn't have to pick up their broken pieces because they messed up. I love it. One last (laughs) question about this, then I want to move on to other stuff that you've done in your career. Um, I didn't want, I watched a few episodes of Rachel's season, but I didn't. And I don't want, I'm very in and out. Like, you know, I go years without watching that. If I hear about it, I'll watch like the last three episodes just to get like the, the last rose and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, final rose. So I'm a, not a consistent watcher, but um, how much is race actually talked about? Like, was it discussed on Rachel's season? If she's interacting with the white guys and like, how much do you think it'll be discussed in Matt's season? It was discussed uh, during Lee's like situation. Um, Lee was one of the people that were considered racist on the cast um, because things came out. And I remember Men Tell All was a huge blowout um, of them saying like, oh, you had all these racist tweets, X, Y, and Z. And that was their way of talking about race, which I felt like it was kind of uncomfortable um, because it's like, they had this beautiful love story with the black bachelorette. And then they tried, they overshadowed it with one person that had a racist tweet. And I'm like, I feel like you could have had this conversation in such a better setting and really just like talked about it. And like, like, I just, it was just so frustrating. It was like, they could have done this so much better and they just made it all about a tweet. And then they were like, Oh, let's, he's going to grow from it. And like, then he just like kind of disappeared and like, he wasn't talked about ever again. So like race could have been, especially since it was the first bachelor black bachelorette, it could have been such a profound situation that they did not really, they kind of skirted around rather than actually take it full force. And it's like, really? I wonder (laughs) if they, if their reasoning is like, well, that's not romantic. That's not part of the fairy tale. That's like too real life. You know, we have to keep people in the fairy tale. I'm curious if you ever watched unreal. I did. (laughs) Because everyone told me they're like, is it like the bachelor? And I always just say no comment. (laughs) You're going to stick by that Jazzy. I'm going to stick by it. (laughs) Okay. I love that show. (laughs) So you have um, a great resume. In addition to casting many seasons of The Bachelor and Bachelorette, you also worked on, like you said, the own show, Family or Fiance, uh, Flirty Dancing for Fox, and Love Island for CBS. That is a big hit. Yes. Um, How was that experience? What was that like? Uh, You know, Love Island was, it was fun because... uh, it was just a different feel of, uh, of, uh, just dating shows in general, um, going, coming from bachelor. It was just very much like, does this person want to get married at the end of this? And love Island is like, do you just want to go on an Island and have fun and hook up with people? And I'm like, there's so many people that want to do it. So it was, it was so much fun. I had a blast doing it. Um, and it's on right now. So if you want to watch it, (laughs) 
I have to put it on my list. I haven't, I know my, I, my friend that I do my TV updates with, he, he swears by it, but, um, but I, I have to get into it. And I heard the the UK version is amazing too. Oh, it's so incredible. I love, I am, I like the UK version a little bit more than the US. Don't tell anyone, but. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. No one will hear this. No one will it's hear this. It's our secret. So now you're casting for The Circle on Netflix. Um, I am very outspoken about my views. So I'm going to be super honest. I could not get into it. It was well cast. So brava. I'm talking about the first season. Um, second season you're now casting for. So it's just not my jam, but like, I totally get why it works. Um, and, you know, but most of those shows are not my jam. So, so, you know, but I can look at it from a producer's perspective and a casting perspective and say like, really good job. So I guess what I'm always interested when I have casting people and I've had a few, like, I always want to know what the process is because I know every show is different, but in my limited casting abilities, you know, I never understand how people do it. Like, I know you don't want to like reveal all your tricks, but like, what are some of the tricks of the trade that you can share when you're approaching a new show? Ooh, ooh, that's a good question. I'm trying to, I have to do this very carefully. <laughs> right, right. Um, so going into casting and just any show, um, obviously it helps when the show has been on, has a season behind it or a couple of seasons behind it because people just will apply for the show, which is just great. Um, and then, you know, we just go through all the applications and then we interview people, um, you know, whether it be in person or whether it be, you know, via Skype or Zoom, we have that ability to do that now, especially during the pandemic, which is great. Uh, we don't have to, you know, go out on the road like we used to. I loved being on the road, by the way, for casting calls. I would travel all over the country and just be like, we have this huge casting call. People would show up, you know, you interview them and then, you know, they go through the process and then they make the show. And it was always just so fun. Um, but the things I guess that we look for people that with just great personalities, um, people that are willing to put themselves out there on television and kind of are going at it with an open mind, um, have always been people that I just enjoy speaking to and casting. Can you tell right away? I I've asked this of other casting people. I'm always curious. Can you, cause I feel like there's such a fine line, especially now as we're mature in this business between, good pers big personalities and thirsty, right? And thirsty doesn't usually make a good personality anymore, but how do you, like, what's your radar for that at this point? It's, you could tell by the way they talk about themselves in an interview, whether or not they're thirsty or they are actually just have great personalities. Um, a lot of it is like showing off their brand, like talking about their brand, and, you know, oh, you go on God. your Instagram and it's only, they only have 2000 followers. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Well, that is so, I mean, you must, cause you are kind of like a psychologist in that way because you're having to get into the psyche of delusional people. I mean, most people who want to be on these shows, let's be real, are delusional. And probably the ones that you want are interested in that you have to coerce, like you were saying earlier, are probably not as delusional and are more self-aware and therefore probably won't be good. I mean, is that, do you agree or am I just, you know, making a blanket statement? Oh, it's not a blanket statement. I think it's, there's some truth to it, but there's definitely, there's people that are like, I'm never going to do reality TV. 
And then they go through the interview process and then they go, you know what? Now I'm more open to this. And then they make the show and then they are loving it. They love being on television. They love, you know, showing off and, you know, then they love the fame that comes afterwards. But it's definitely a little bit of like, here's why you should do the show. And I think you would be a really good fit for it. And then they go, oh, all right, fine. Like you only live once, right? (laughs) Right. And then. Is it cool for you to then see people that you've kind of walked through the process and gotten them to that point actually be on TV? Like, what is that like? I can imagine that's kind of like birthing a baby. (laughs) I I haven't birthed a baby, but I feel like it's like that. (laughs) (laughs) A lot less painful. But when you finally see them in your arms, you're like, yes, I did this. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I, I it's almost the most like amazing, like rewarding feeling seeing someone that just you found on Instagram or you found on the street end up on television. You're like, I did that. That was cool. (laughs) When you're interviewing somebody, you know, and Skyping, whatever you do, and you just know right away they're wrong. Do you keep it really short? (laughs) Or do you like, just give them, like make them feel good by giving. (laughs) (laughs) No comment. (laughs) Right. I'd be like, okay, thanks. Like 30 seconds later, you're out. (laughs) I, I make sure just in general, when I am casting, that I make everyone feel comfortable doing this because it's not something that you normally would ever do. All these people are just people off the street. Um, They're not actors. They're, you know, Joe around the corner that works at the deli. And I think the most important thing someone that works in casting can do is to make that person feel comfortable, feel like they're talking to their best friend. And whether or not they're good for that television show, they come out of that experience like, I absolutely had a blast and it was so much fun. That's sweet. Thanks. <laughs> very, very kind of you. So what are your personal goals? Like, are there shows, different kinds of shows that you want to work on? Do you want to move into producing at all? Like, what are you, what are you thinking about for the next five years of your career or five to 10 years? Um, it's definitely still want to stay in casting. I absolutely love casting so much, but I do want to move a little bit more into the development side. Um, since I just have a Rolodex of all these different characters and people from walk of life. I'm like, I have television shows I can create, um, off of this. And there's also just like topics I want to explore that I haven't seen on television, um, that I would like to, you know, develop and hopefully produce. I love that. That that mm-hmm. always does seem like the next step. I know Jackie Pittman did that. Yeah. I'm sure you know Jackie. She yeah. successfully got a show on Bravo that mm-hmm. came out of casting for something else. I mean, right. I'm sure, I'm sure you encounter even people that probably aren't even right for whatever show you're doing, but could be great in something else. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I like some of these farmers that I keep coming across and like I'm just like, wow, you guys are so cool. And no one knows anything about you. <laughs> Why don't you guys have a really cool television show? You know, <laughs> I had, yeah, I had a, um, a show called farm Kings for four seasons of a family of 10 farmers. Um, so yeah, we broke the farm genre. The- yeah. genre. <laughs> um, so uh, before we wrap up, I just want to circle back to kind of the broader issue of black producers. I, I don't know if you saw that I've done a bunch of when black Lives matters movement, kind of broke out in June again. Um, you know, I, I had 
sort of like a series of panels to just talk about what's going on in our industry. And I know you're in a specific sliver of the industry, which is casting, but I'm curious since um, June, when all of this started happening again, what are, you know, are you getting more calls? Are you seeing more of your black producer friends um, being sought after more? Like what are the changes, if any, that you're seeing in the industry and what do you think needs to happen more on a grand scale, not just in, in one specific show? I, um, I am seeing some more phone calls, um, you know, since I've been on this show, since, you know, April, people are asking me when I'm available, you know, is there anything you can work on? And I'm like, it's great. Like, it's good to see that, but it's also like, what took so long? You know, why are you now seeing what I've been doing? Um, so it's a little bit, it's like a double-edged sword. It's like, I, I love the more opportunities, but I also hate the only reason why I'm getting all these opportunities is because the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, but I think in general, if we continue this upward trajectory and everyone is starting to realize there are really amazing Black producers um, in the industry and we need to include them more, not just producers, just in general, all, you know, Black filmmakers. Um, and I think if we continue on this trajectory, we will see a lot more amazing content that we haven't seen before. And it's just going to better the industry in general. Um, but that being said, I'm hoping that it's not just us being hired at lower positions. We also need to see us as executive producers, head of talent, things like that. Um, and I'm hoping that's what happens through all of this, I, I I look at everything with a glass half full rather than a glass half empty. Um, I would say that I'm a very like excitable person and like want to see the best in people, which sometimes burns me. Um, but um, I'm I'm hopeful for the industry. I I really feel like there is something that is going to happen from this, and I'm excited to see what it does happen. Same. And let me ask you a very practical question that I'm a little embarrassed to ask, but I feel like a lot of people are embarrassed to ask. So I'm going to ask it and I hope that it helps other people in the industry. So I, for one, really want to hire black people on my staff. Like that's like a conscious effort that's important to me to make happen. I'm nervous about how I put it out there because I don't want to come off as tone deaf or as like I'm tokenizing or any of those things. I just want to do that. So <laughs> what's the best way to do it? Like, is there a right way to do it? Like, for instance, I'm, I am looking for a, an editor right now. And in an mm -hmm. ideal world, I would love that person to be a black woman. But I don't want to, you know, now I'm saying it to, to everybody, but like I'm asking you as one person, I realize you're not speaking for the black community, but like, <laughs> what's the best way to put, is it okay to ask that? Or is that not okay? I think it's okay to ask that. I think it's like, I would love to have a black editor um, on my staff who, you know, who knows someone. Um, there's also a whole bunch of different Facebook groups um, that you could reach out to specifically. And there's a list too, by yeah. the way. People want to email me. There's, they got a list of 800 black producer, I mean, sorry, editors specifically in all genres. So you have to really whittle it down. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, it's totally fine. But, but, but you have to do the work to find it, but it's exactly. worth it. It's worth it. And if I, I would never like get upset if someone goes, I really want a black producer on my, you know, show. Can you please tell me someone that's good? If you came to me directly, I'd be like, yeah, here's a list. Um, so if you want to go and just 
ask someone that you know, that's fine. But I also don't think it's a bad thing to post it on, you know, staff me up or, you know, whatever job posting site. Um, I don't know if people will think that's like technically illegal to hire based off of race, but like, right. That's where I guess I'm, I, I want to be careful in that way. Like, I don't want to screw it up, but mm-hmm. I feel like if we don't make the conscious effort to, to change it, it is not going to change. I mean, I have to admit for myself, I realized in the last few months, you know, I didn't even know that many black people in our industry. I, I was just like, assume they didn't exist, you know? And then all of a sudden you open it up and it's like, holy shit, not only do they exist, but like they've worked on a million shows, you know, and granted I'm not so much in that production community anymore, but still it, it's, it requires so little work to do the work to, to, to figure it out. And, and I have to say one of the really great byproducts of, of doing some of these shows that I've done is the amount of white producer company owners who have reached out to me, like, Hey, I, I want to get better. Like help me point me in the right direction. And you know, not like I know anything, but just to even be able to see that it's a conscious choice now and Mm -hmm. to invest in black businesses and, in talent, like you said, not starting them on the lowest rung of the ladder, but starting them at the appropriate place. And look, like everybody black or white sometimes has to step, take a step back on a specific type of show. If it's broadcasting, you've only been doing cable. I mean, there's all that bullshit that's been going on forever, but you know, I don't think that's necessarily race or gender specific, although I'm sure it it can be. But other than that, you know, we, it shouldn't be a situation like we said earlier, where you have to work twice as hard because that's bullshit. And that's, straight up racism. Oh, a hundred percent. And it's so frustrating. I would love to see us finally get a seat at the table. That's all we've been wanting this entire time. And why do we have to work 10 times harder to get that seat? And honestly, a lot of us deserve to be in the head at the table, but we're not getting the head at the table. We're getting the kitty table. That's three feet back. Well, like you said earlier, and when you are seeking the seat at the table, not telling people you're being too aggressive, you know, like how about you deserve it and good for you for asking for it. And you know what, maybe you'll get it and hopefully you'll get it. So I just think, you know, and I do think that gender does factor into this. Um, and I have had specifically women, black producers that I've spoken to, because I do think that that's its own unique thing with women. And then you put race on top of that and it gets even more complicated. So there's a lot of things that we're, we're dealing with in sort of like the straight white male led worlds, which, you know, although our industry, there are a lot of female executives. It's like you said, the head seats a mm-hmm. lot of the times are mostly the white straight men. And yes, that trickles down. I mean, certainly at a situation like The Bachelor, that's the case. So Absolutely. I want to end it on a positive note. <laughs> sorry, we, we were like rabbit holing down all of these things, but it is, I think it's an important conversation to have. And I'm, I'm grateful that you've been such a vocal. I, I, I want to say, which I didn't say earlier that I really applaud your bravery for Thank speaking you. out. And I hope that you've paved the way. That is the last thing I wanted to ask you about mentorship. Cause I, I bring this up a lot and I wonder through you speaking out and just being vocal and, you know, just kind of a congenial person, has it led to people coming to you? And are you open to mentoring, you know, younger people or people coming up in the industry who want to do what you do? Yes, absolutely. I actually have a, um, someone that I'm mentoring right now. She came to me through a friend. Um, cause she said, 
I'm struggling to break into the casting uh, side. I've done PA work, all that stuff, but I feel like everyone just looks at my resume and they're just like, whatever, you haven't done casting. Like, what do I need to do? Um, so I've been talking to her for the past couple of weeks and actually just got her a job. So um, wow. I'm, I'm really happy for her. And I absolutely love to talk to people that want that side of reality casting, have any questions or just want, you know, someone that's been in my, like, I wish I had that person when I was growing up, you know, when I was coming up in this industry, I wish there was someone that would hold my hand and like, be like, don't do this, you know, ask for more money, you know? And so I didn't make these mistakes. So if I can give back any way possible, I do as much as I can. I love that. So where can people get in touch with you and follow you? You can uh, reach me on Instagram at Jazzy Nicole Collins, um, or you can visit my website at uh, jazzycasting.com. It's a great website. I love that picture of you too. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Uh, Okay, good. So I really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you speaking out and doing what you've been doing. I think it's really important and, and I appreciate now knowing you and uh, hopefully having you on again sometime in the future. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you, Shannon. (laughs) Thank you, Shannon. Shannon.